Built Not Born, episode 35. I'm Joe Chicarone. Thank you for joining us. Today's guest is Dr. Jason Goldsmith. Dr. Jason Goldsmith is a physician scientist, a trained immunologist, and host of the Immunology Podcast, a weekly podcast that reviews the latest research on COVID-19 and interviews a famous scientist each week. Dr. Goldsmith is also a medical director at a biotech company and has treated COVID patients in the ER and ICU during the height of the pandemic. Dr. Goldsmith graduated medical school from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. He did his residency in internal medicine at the University of Michigan and earned his PhD in pharmacology from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Dr. Goldsmith also went on to conduct postdoctoral research at the University of Pennsylvania's Institute for Immunology and is a trained immunologist. On the podcast today, Dr. Goldsmith conducts a Q&A on all things COVID-19. I reached out to previous podcast guests, everything from physicians, MMA fighters, CEOs, special forces operators. I asked them as of February, 2022, what are your questions regarding COVID? Everything was on the table from variants to supplements work, what treatments are effective, should I get a booster shot, vaccines, are they safe? Dr. Goldsmith does a great job of cutting through the noise to give us the latest medical perspective so we can make informed decisions for ourselves, our families. So I hope you enjoy. Thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, please hit the subscribe button. We have a bunch of cool interviews like this one to come. Enjoy my conversation with Dr. Jason Goldsmith, physician scientist, immunologist, medical director, and host of the Immunology Podcast. And remember, life is built, not born. Dr. Jason oh. Goldsmith, welcome to the show. Hello, hello. I appreciate you joining us. For our listeners who may not be familiar with you and your work, who are you and what do you do? I'm, I'm Dr. Jason Goldsmith. I'm a physician scientist, which means I went to school for a really long time and got an MD and a PhD. My MD is in internal medicine, which is what you do when you go and see someone in a hospital. But I focus some on GI, so gastrointestinal work as uh, related to my clinical work and in my research. I did my training at UNC, residency at Michigan, and I came to Penn where I did a postdoc in immunology. So I'm also a trained immunologist. Then these days, I'm a medical director for a biotech company called Series Therapeutics, which is a microbiome company. So we study how uh, basically bacteria and such can be used as drugs, and we're getting ready to put our first product through the FDA. I'm a medical director there, and then I'm also an immunologist. I'm involved in a lot of the uh, COVID work. I'm also the co-host of the Immunology Podcast, which you can find by looking up the Immunology Podcast on Google. Really a unique name, but very good. And so I spent a lot of time researching COVID. I also spent then most of the pandemic up until this year when my day job got too busy treating it at night at Abington Hospital down the road here in Philadelphia. So I was there right when the pandemic hit. I was treating patients on the floor, being admitted and as well in the ICU, running out of those gowns, putting garbage bags on, all that fun stuff. You were knee deep in COVID. Usually at this point in the podcast, I ask a series of questions. What I'd like to do since I have you, I think for an hour, and I think you, you turn into a pumpkin in about 59 yep. minutes. Exactly. I appreciate your time, Doc. What we'll do here is I have polled listeners of the show, physicians, 
CEOs, MMA fighters, all past guests of the show. What were their questions of COVID as of today, as of February 2022, where their COVID questions are? Everything from boosters to vaccines to masks. And how about just rapid fire? How about I ask you questions and you give us the medical perspective? How's that sound? Oh, I appreciate you. This is great. This is in no particular order, and uh, we're just going to fire off the hip. Make sense? Yeah, let's go for it. First question, and these are right from the listeners. How soon after getting diagnosed with COVID-19 should I get my booster shot? Good one. So generally, the reason you get a booster is to get further immunity to the virus in two ways. One, usually vaccines take three shots anyway, so the fact that we started with two and are moving to three is not surprising. Secondly, every time you get a booster, what's called your neutralizing antibodies, the antibodies that intercept the virus and block it from even infecting you or spreading to others, go up and then they kind of fall off five or six months later. So if you got infected, you're going to have just like having gotten a booster. So I would, and, and this is a matter of now medical opinion, there's not a clear protocol on it. I would wait several months at least if you had your two shots, then you got infected right? Your full course is done. You were on to get your booster. The day before you're getting your booster, you got sick. Okay, cool. Wait two to three months. Let the natural immunity you have with all those neutralizing antibodies start coming down, then get your booster to buy you max time, basically. Gotcha. I know someone that had COVID and they were about to get the booster and they asked nurses, they asked their physician, they asked the pharmacist giving them, and all three had a different opinion when you should get the booster. Some said, there's no way there's no way to do a trial on it. Mm. So there's no medical, so, there's, there's no peer review. Yeah. It's, it's like how many weeks after an infection and how sick you are during your infections a variable, should you get a vaccine for maximum? And then like, then what are you going to measure? The fact that they don't get sick after already being exposed. It's, it's a really hard trial to do. So, you know, you don't want to do it immediately because you want to let your body rest and recover. You know, you don't want to never do it. And so then you're kind of going, well, how long will the natural immunity help you out? And then when would you want to get your one booster that's authorized? And so you're just kind of playing a game. You could wait five months. You could wait three months. I wouldn't do it two weeks. I wouldn't wait a year. So somewhere in that, like, it buys you several months at least. Okay. Next question. How is it possible that some members of my family contracted COVID and became very sick while other members of the same family living in the same house remain COVID-free? Good question. So depends. If they're vaccinated, that could be the vaccine working, especially if they're recently boosted. We had COVID in my household. My son had been vaccinated a month before. He didn't get it. And then the other example is my daughter. She's four. She can't get vaccinated yet, but she is part of the population. So kids five under five who are really resistant to getting the virus, and she never got it. And so you could have natural resistance. You could have been exposed a year ago, never got sick, never noticed it, and have a whole bunch of antibodies. And that's why you never tested positive either. Or you could have cross-reactive immunity from other coronaviruses because you're a daycare worker and bathed in the stuff. And so also not get it. Or same with kids. That's part of the reason kids don't get it. Or you could just be young and be resistant for all the reasons they are, which I don't know if that's a question or not. So it really, it's because just like in the population, people are randomly seem to get it when they're exposed or not. The household's the same. It's just a higher exposure. So you're more likely to get it if you're living with someone. But it doesn't mean you will. Or it means you're going to have such a low amount that you don't turn positive or you already were exposed and are immune or you're vaccinated. Understood. How about you mentioned about kids? How in the beginning, say two years ago, say March 2020, when this came out, when it was really scary, kids did not get it. 
but the older yeah. population. But now it's like uh, when you get to the Omicron, like all the kids get it. How? What They're happened? actually not though. So this is what's crazy. So kids, the younger the kid, the less what's called ACE2 receptor, which is a receptor that the virus binds to and gets into the blood vessels, the less of that they have. So they can't get deeply infected in the lungs. That's always been true. However, the virus also has a second receptor. It's more in the upper airways and that kids do have. But kids are also bathed in coronavirus being in daycare. And so they have some cross-reactive immunity from other coronaviruses. So between the fact that they're like germ factories and they have less receptor, they've always been really resistant. Now what's happening is that some kids are randomly positive because they're going to the hospital for something else. That something else is often something called respiratory syncytial virus or RSV, which affects kids in the winter. And so we've had a burst of that this year because all of the hygiene we've had and all the mask wearing has actually, in contradiction, made kids more likely when they get sick to get sicker this year because they haven't had a low-level exposure to build up immunity. And so kids are getting hit hard with RSV this year and then are just so happened to also be COVID positive while in the hospital where they fall and break their arm on the monkey bars and are COVID positive. Are they sick with it? Not really. I think we've had one death in the Northeast now from COVID in a child under the age of five in two and a half years of the pandemic, which is still tragic, but like relatively speaking, the pools that kids have in their backyards are more dangerous. The car ride to school is more dangerous. So they're just being positive because they're coming in, we're testing everyone, but that positivity isn't why they're sick in the hospital in most cases. It's usually the RSV or whatever else is happening to them that's causing the problems. Understood. Next question. Do you think future variants of COVID-19 will be less virulent, even though they may be more contagious? So viruses don't want to kill their hosts too fast because then they can't spread. A virus with mild disease that spreads very rapidly is very good evolutionarily and will outcompete other viruses. Ones that get you sick enough to quarantine away also get you less spread, right? So the flu, its failure is that it makes you feel like crap the instant you're infectious. So you go at home because you feel horrible, right? You go home, you feel horrible, you don't spread it as much. So COVID's done a really good job making you not really feel sick and it spreads. So the answer is probably, but mutations are also random. And so while the tendency for selection of the fittest will lead you one way, sometimes you get weird shit. When do you project, next question, when do you project the United States will reach herd immunity? Never. How so? So herd immunity means that there's enough people that are fully infected by it or fully immune from it, either by vaccines or natural infection or both, that the virus cannot spread or have a real reservoir in the population and everyone's protected. I don't think that's what's going to happen. I think that it will become what's called endemic and it will be one of the seasonal bugs people happen, have that we stop worrying about because it won't be that severe but that'll still pass from person to person. And sometimes you'll be COVID positive and sometimes you'll be flu positive and so on and so forth. So, so you just like we don't have herd immunity against the flu, we're not going to have herd immunity against COVID. We don't have herd immunity against any coronaviruses. 
So you think at some point, instead of just getting your flu shot each year as an adult, you'll just get your flu shot and your booster each year for COVID? Maybe you may not even need it. The reason you have a flu shot is it mutates. It, it switches which form it's in. So like, you know, your H1N1, H2N5, those H and N numbers are different subunit types and they recombine in animals and swap out. And so you have to make different vaccines for different ones. That's less true of COVID and has mutations, but doesn't have these big giant module swap outs that make you have to have a completely different immunity. Could you have a booster for Omicron? Maybe. Could you have a booster every three years or a booster for the elderly and immunosuppressed only every year? Yeah, because they're really easy to swap over. May the companies try to push annual boosters because they're pretty effective and don't have much for risk? Sure. Do I think it'll be required? No. You'll just get sick and then you'll get better. Mm-hmm. Now, if you, getting back, there was a question. I can't find it, but uh, there's a question that says, if you needed a booster now, since they're working on the Omicron booster, it's about to come out in a couple of weeks or months. Would you wait till they update the next? Would you boost now or would you wait till the Omicron booster came I'd out? I get it now and then they'll let you get the Omicron later too. They're not going to say you can't get that. So you would boost now. So right now, if you need a booster, if you're just a healthy adult over 18 years old and you didn't get boosted yet, would you go get it? Yeah, because it's a pain in the ass factor. Like if you're boosted, and you get it and you're exposed to it, you don't have to quarantine. If you're exposed, you don't have to quarantine if you're boosted. And then even if you do get it and you are sick, you can get out of quarantine five days later and go about your life. Mm-hmm. And you're less likely to get it. You know, we do jujitsu with each other. It's great being boosted. I don't have to worry that if I'm exposed or anything else, I'm going to get back quicker. I'm not worried about getting as sick. And then hell, I even got it anyway. Cause, but I had my booster way earlier, right? I had my booster in August. And hell, I think I was rolling with half you guys, didn't even know I was sick, pop positive, and none of you got it because you all had gotten your boosters in the last month. That's the whole point. Yeah. Boosters, basically, the third one does help some long-term immunity to protect you, but a big benefit of it is it just prevents you from getting it to begin with, but only for a few months. It's like a short-term shield. Yeah. I, and, and just having a study of an N of one myself, uh, I got boosted. And within that 10 weeks, I probably came across four or five people that I was with in the car, like family members, no masks, jujitsu, whatever else I did. And I never got it. Right. And, uh, now, they, two months from now, you may be, you know, it may happen to you. Gotcha. Okay. When would you boost again? How frequently would you get a booster as a healthy adult? I think it depends on what's going on. So right now, Omicron is everywhere, but it's already dropping. So peak Omicron, if I was right, available, allowed to have a booster, I'd get one. Blocks everything as much as you can. If it's the summer and the virus isn't around very much and there's not a lot of positivity in the community. Eh. Maybe wait really till next about, fall. Would you like maybe? Wait fall. Like, like, so would the, could this be a seasonal thing people do to avoid the obnoxiousness? Sure. Just okay. depends on where we end up. I think part of it's society's figuring out where how we feel about a new virus because it's you know scary to people. Awesome. Okay. Next question. What exactly is herd immunity? And don't these vaccines impede herd immunity for COVID? So herd immunity is the idea. So viruses have to spread from host to host, right? They can't live outside of a person. So they infect you, they spread infectious particles, go to the next person. That's how they live. They hijack. They're kind of like a parasite. So herd immunity is when enough people in the community are protected that those few who can't get vaccinated are also protected. And the concept is the virus doesn't have enough places to go to to spread and jump from person to person that it can be infected. So 
that's what herd immunity is now the vaccines and how they work and herd immunity so let's take a step back vaccines just replicate natural immunity sometimes better you get sick with a virus how much immunity you get may be dependent on how sick you get and how much of a dose of virus you got and all this other stuff a vaccine is designed to be a very specific dose in a regimented way that's more reproducible so we know if you get the vaccine you're going to get x amount of immunity with the virus you can get x or y or z amounts maybe more maybe less it'll be mixed all types of stuff both the vaccine and infection generate herd immunity herd immunity through natural virus is the play stupid game win a stupid prize general mechanism you could infect everyone in the population at once and we'd all be sick at the same time or do it over a couple months and after everyone has it and all that death toll from the earlier variants right you know the one percent death rate or what have you yeah sure you mostly be immune to the virus when spread around or you vaccinate people and they don't all die to gain their immunity mm. that's the idea but remember what i said respiratory viruses were not good at getting herd immunity too measles mumps rubella are respiratory viruses those natural immunity or vaccine immunity both give herd immunity so it's going to be the same you get neutralizing permanent sterile immunity the same is true of chickenpox you can get shingles but chickenpox you can get permanent immunity or it takes like 20 years for it to wear away right that's why they have boosters eventually well there you go natural vaccine matchup so in the end the herd immunity isn't really what's going to happen now we talked about herd immunity in the pandemic the idea of that was if everyone had neutralizing antibodies at the same time so if we had all acted in a coherent manner and all gotten our vaccine the same week when they all came out all of America was suddenly vaccinated let's pretend that we were that coordinated then the virus would run out of places and would die out due to group herd immunity and even if the virus couldn't exist anymore there'd be no reservoir for it so even if new unvaccinated people came it never it's not in the population but, but we don't have that and that's why like you see with measles people on anti-vax groups that like if you have enough measles around and enough unvaccinated people it can still affect people that are vaccinated because now they're just getting exposed to it over and over and over and over and over again and the vaccine's 90 percent effective it just takes 10 times to get through once mm-hmm. okay and so you eventually overwhelm the shields but if there ain't anywhere for it to go you have very few shots on goal right the best goalie in the world can't stop everything yeah okay no that makes sense have the vaccines caused the mutations or make them come about faster I'm trying to think about how to say this so can a vaccine create selective pressure for it to mutate away from the immunity yes would that be any different than everyone being infected by it all at once no like if we all just got really infected and sick with it to do the same damn thing mm-hmm. now we are driving selective pressure for it to mutate the spike protein because that's what the vaccine's against versus other proteins but that's fine that's what we want it to do because that's the protein that enters the cell causes the cell entrance and if it mutates in a way that's stupid for it it then loses its functionality and that mutation then doesn't propagate there's a mask question yep all right do you think school children should wear masks in school right. how effective are they do mask mandates work not really do masks work kind of so it's all about the quality of your mask and how long you're around a person 
So if I'm wearing my fitted N95 mask, which hurts like a motherfucker on my face, and they really hurt when you wear them, and I go into a person's room with COVID at the hospital, I'm not going to get it. If I walked around that way all day, I wouldn't get it either probably, but my face would really hurt. If I wear a KN95, that's less true, and a surgical mask, that's less true, and a cloth mask, even less true, right? Mm-hmm. Cloth mask, I'll still get it if I go into a room with someone with COVID and hang out with them for a while. Now, if I go to, in the early days, if I go to the grocery store, and I got to go to the grocery store because we got to get our food, and everyone's got COVID, or some people have COVID and some people don't, and you're walking by them and you're wearing a mask, and they're wearing a mask to block their particles so it can't aerosolize, will the mask stop the spread? Yes. Because it's preventing it from aerosolizing. You're not just sitting in a room. So it depends on the context. If I'm in a conference room with a person with COVID, I better have an N95 on. And that's where it gets a little weird. School. You're sitting essentially in a conference room with people all day. You're sitting with the same kids all day in cloth masks and kids chew on their masks and lick at them and pull them down. Are they really doing that much given the real world scenario they're in? I'm not sure the benefits outweigh the harms, especially given all the speech delays we've seen. It's a controversial view. Mm. Do I think that the general idea of wearing masks when we're running around various public places when the pandemic was peaking helps slow the spread down? Yeah, they do. That's absolutely what they do. Surgeons wear masks during surgery so I don't get you sick. That's why you wear a surgical mask. It's not to prevent yourself from the patient. It's to prevent you from coughing into their guts when it's literally open while you're doing surgery and infecting them. Mm -hmm. So they work to prevent you from spreading it but only so much, only for so long, depends on your exposure dose from everyone else. So I think it starts to get silly. I think it's really silly when you go into a restaurant, put your mask on to walk from the reception area, from the hostess to your table, and then can immediately take it off. Mm-hmm. You're going to a restaurant, you just don't need a mask. If you've chosen to eat at a restaurant, it's a maskless scenario. Just accept that. Mm-hmm. Should the so wait staff maybe wear masks? Sure. There's around every single person going to every single table, like spreading it all around, just like you want them to wear gloves when they're preparing your food. Mm-hmm. Okay. Hostess's job and waitress's job is to talk to you, talk on your food. So, so maybe, yeah, while there's a pandemic going on, I can see that. Uh, should hospitals probably have masks to minimize spread everywhere? Yeah. Should they be surgical masks? Yep. Mm-hmm. So it really depends. I think we're getting to the point that with vaccination being what it is and the choice is like, you can choose to get vaccinated anytime you want. It's not like it's hard to get. You don't want to get it. You're the one playing with fire if you're out in the community not wearing a mask. Mm-hmm. Getting back to your immunity with the vaccine and with the disease. You touched on this a few minutes ago. People that I know, they go, oh, I got the disease. I, I got COVID. I, I'm more protected than you that who's vaccinated. Who's more protected, a vaccinated person or someone who had COVID? So the data has bounced around on this. So some early work shows that getting vaccinated once is relatively simple. So well, let me take a step back. Getting COVID once is more protective than a single shot of the vaccine putting aside J&J, which is a different kind of vaccine, but the two-shot vaccines. So being getting COVID once, more protective than a single shot. Getting both shots is more protective than COVID. 
Getting COVID once and a single shot after is pretty similar to both shots of the vaccine, which also goes along with side effects, like people who had like really bad side effects at the first COVID dose, like most people after the second shot, were ones who were most likely to have been exposed to COVID before or actually just knew they had it. Mm -hmm. Your second hit with it. Getting COVID twice, they haven't had as much data on this, is probably as protective or more protective than the vaccines. COVID twice. Yep. Right. Who wants COVID twice? Mm. <laughs> Is that win stupid game, play stupid games, win stupid prizes? <laughs> right. I mean, it can happen. Should you do that? No. And it really depends on how sick you were, right? Like if you had, oh, I was, I had this really mild thing. I popped positive one day, but I was fine. You probably aren't nearly as protected as the dude that was like super sick. Mm-hmm. You don't want to be super sick. I mean, the reality is, is everyone's going to get COVID at this point. So get vaccinated and you'll still get COVID and be extra protected because you're just going to get used to your body's just going to get used to it. It's basically reps. Like the way I think about it is anyone who's, you know, because you have a lot of fighters on this podcast, like you just go into the fight without training. That sounds real dumb. Mm -hmm. Vaccines are just training your body. That's a good point. How about this? This is from a physician friend. It says, I've been curious how each time there is a new variant, it takes over the old one and the old one just seems to disappear. Where does it go? For example, Omicron is now at the time 99% of all new cases. So what happened to Delta and the original strand? That's a good question. Okay. So not every variant takes over. A lot of variants that they've watched for just die out. They don't outcompete. It's a competition. One's going to outgrow the other one over and over and over again and become dominant in the environment. Your body's going to kill off everything it finds. So all the uh, delta is being killed by human hosts and just the environment. And the thing that spreads all the time and takes up all the juice from the human host to make more virus is Omicron because Omicron's better at replicating in humans. And so it spreads and the other one dies out. It's basically kind of how weeds work, right? Mm-hmm. You don't take care of your lawn, the weeds take over because they'll outcompete the regular grass or whatever. Same mm-hmm. concept. They just outgrow it. Yeah. They outgrow it. The other ones can't keep up. So it's 99% this. A little bit of the other one left doesn't get any of the replicative juice, doesn't get any of the resources from the human cells to make more of its own copies. It gets killed along with the Omicron and then it doesn't get to come back. Mm-hmm. Next question When does this go from pandemic to endemic? And when it does, will it matter because of all the political point of views? (laughs) Now is when it's going from pandemic to endemic. And the humans are really bad at dealing with new risks and adjustments to said risks. And that's why we haven't already gotten there, like emotionally. So it is now an endemic disease. It's very clearly acting like that. But we still have all these mandates and testing and stuff because we're still getting used to it. And the hospitals were barnstormed. We're still kind of in that transition phase, but we're in the middle of the transition phase now, essentially. And then hopefully once we're over that transition phase, people just kind of like get used to the concept of getting vaccinated and then you don't have to wear masks anymore. And you only test when you're sick and you test when you're sick, not to go into a quarantine, but to know, do you need Tamiflu or dexamethasone? What do I treat you with? You're sick in front of me. I'm a doctor. I go, okay, what do you have so I can help you better? That's why I test you, not to like screen everyone. And so, so we're you, starting down that path. Do you think there'll be a point where asymptomatic people won't need to be tested? I hope to God. I, it's an emotional thing right now. I don't think there's strong medical reasons to asymptomatically test or test everyone who's asymptomatic right now. I think the one societal reason is we don't want to 
overwhelm the healthcare system. And that's starting to already get better again. Now, part of the reason healthcare system was overwhelmed was you were sending asymptomatic positive nurses home from work because they were popping positive on a test. Now, do you want them to spread it? No, but again, they're wearing an N95, so we kind of eliminated that. They're not going to spread the disease. And they're wearing a mask over the N95, so they're double, you know, double bag. Mm-hmm. So you're okay. So it's a matter of going, okay, at what point do we realize that it's just here? It's just the thing you can get, and it's not destroying the hospital system. So I would say as soon as the hospital system starts to recover, this thing goes bye-bye. Next question. Any hypothesis about why does each new variant seem to be less dangerous than the last one? Mutations tend to happen more in the immune compromised and unvaccinated. Yeah, because that's what viruses are going to do. The first variant of COVID was pretty damaging to the point that we shut down society. If Omicron had been first, the pandemic would be over. Would have spread like wildfire. We would have started locking down and masking. Everyone would have gotten it. We'd all be immune to it for natural infection. We'd be having some vaccines and it'd be over because it was just so quick, but relatively mild. But that's what it wants to live in a host and spread to everyone. It wants to make more copies of itself. The best way to do that is not to kill its host, not to make the host want to go hide in a bed away from everyone. Mm-hmm. Next question. Will COVID always be deadly for some people in the population? Yeah. Oh, sure. The flu kills people. Okay. Fair enough. It feels like 60,000, 30 to 60,000 people a year, depending on the year. Mm-hmm. Understood. COVID is nastier because it affects your vascular system, right? So it can cause little micro blood clots and give you a heart attack or a stroke and cause blood clots in the lungs. So for people who already do not want that, AKA cancer patients, old people who can't tolerate that type of thing, it's not great. Mm-hmm. So it'd always be a problem. So so compromised people, the elderly, the people with comorbid diabetes, heart conditions, lung problems, the the COVID will always be a problem for them. Right. So maybe they get vaccines every year. Okay. Understood. How about, will those who have experienced long periods of COVID have lifelong problems? Like, will the symptoms- No, that long COVID thing, we don't know. We don't know about long COVID. I don't think we understand enough about it yet. We understand it's real and it's not just from people's heads. That was the first question. Because medicine's instinct, unfortunately, sometimes go, yeah, it's in your head. And mm-hmm. sometimes it is, and sometimes it's not. But we're not good at giving people the benefit of the doubt. Mm-hmm. And that's a whole other podcast. Uh, <laughs> but will long COVID, we just don't, we, it seems to be a sustained inflammatory reaction, maybe some cross-reactivity. People do seem to be getting better slowly. It seems that also the vaccines make it less likely to occur. So I do not know. Probably it will get better mostly in most people, which is pretty wishy-washy, but but yeah, probably better. Next question is from a physician. The current COVID vaccines are formulated based on the original Wuhan strain. How relevant are these vaccines now that we have Omicron, Stealth, et cetera? If someone is considering getting boosted, should they wait until the next round of vaccines that are more relevant to the current strains? And so again, I wouldn't wait now if you're eligible because you want some type of protection when it's super out in the environment. They are less effective for preventing you from getting it to begin with. They still work really well for training your body how to kill it and make you not get severely sick. 
And so the third vaccine, which is, again, very common, think about all the vaccine courses you had as a kid, Hep A, Hep B, MMR, tetanus. They're not two and done. They're usually three and done or three and then every X years thereafter. So given that, it makes sense to train your immune system that third time, which is what the vaccine will do. And it does provide protection outside of just the neutralizing antibodies. But the neutralizing antibody boost is enough that it, they work well enough that they provide protection. Good. Next question from a physician. Now or in the future, is there any utility in checking antibody levels in patients to determine if they are protected or if they would benefit from a booster? Is there any antibody level that a patient may have that is considered protective? There is a level. I don't remember the the number off the top of my head because it depends on the test. But yeah, you can get a level. I don't know. So I think if you wanted to do it a month after vaccinating people in populations that have trouble developing an antibody response, like the immunosuppressed, that could be appropriate. So you know if it works or if they need to rechallenge, if they need extra doses by a protocol. For the regular population, no. The whole point of the clinical trial is that you test it on enough people that you know if you get the shot, it works just fine. And then it'll drop five or six months later anyway. Mm-hmm. Your body's not going to waste resources building a bunch of antibodies or something it's not being exposed to constantly. From another physician, another uh, a Spanish flu, SARS, MERS question. Two plus years into this pandemic, what comparisons can we draw from COVID-19 and the Spanish flu of 1918? Oh, we're just as stupid now as we were back then. <laughs> the virus literally traveled the same path in the U.S. from New York down to Florida, People still are talking about the evils of masks originally and being massively anti-vax and resisting like all the human behaviors were the same. The difference is we were much better at reacting and much better at getting a vaccine out that prevented the worst of it. Mm-hmm. That, that Dave right, Barry much book, better. Yeah. That Dave Barry book, uh, The Great Influenza, 1918. Did you, did you ever see that one? No, I've heard of it. But yeah, Just but documents like, it's better. Crazy. We have better medical resources now, right? So less people die from the same type of thing. Understood. How about how about COVID-19, SARS, and MERS? Was the flu more deadly in 1918 than today or just more deadly because the population had no natural immunity? SARS and MERS? Oh, SARS and MERS are massively more deadly than COVID, SARS-CoV-2. And they are so deadly that they burned out. And what happened to them? They just burn out? Like where'd they go? Yeah, you get so sick and like the window period between asymptomatic and sick is so small that like you have like a day where you can infect people before you feel like death. And okay, then okay. like they put you in the room and then you don't spread it to anyone and then you die. Okay. So the incubation period is so much faster and the symptoms are so much more severe that when you get it, you just quarantine and you don't spread it. Exactly. And they didn't okay. spread as well for other reasons too, but like they didn't spread as well. They made you much sicker. So they, they burned out. Are they still around? Do people still get SARS? Is that still, is that people still get that or where's that? Nope. Like, it okay. burned itself out. Gotcha. We have strains of it in labs and stuff. And that's how we were able to do so much work on SARS and MERS. That work helped with COVID. How about here's one about one of the confounding factors of COVID is the boogeyman I call asymptomatic spreader. How real is the risk of an asymptomatic spreader right now? When you have a virus that has an incubation period of three to 10 days and can infect people, can be transmissible and asymptomatic. That seems like an infectious disease nightmare. Can you elaborate? That, yeah, that's the whole problem. COVID's problem is it has a really long period where you're asymptomatic or pre-symptomatic. So those are two different ones. Asymptomatic means you never feel symptoms. Pre-symptomatic was like when I went to jujitsu and had it for a while, maybe eventually had a sniffle that I didn't think I was sick, then got a little sick. Mm. 
and it took so long i'm just sitting there going doo, 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 doo. no problems all good and then spread it that's why we have so much testing right now is because like you can just have it and be spreading it all over the place that is the problem with this virus mm-hmm. how long do you need to be in a confined space with a person to catch covid great question depends on the ventilation of the space the type of mask you're wearing and how sick they are on their viral load and if you're vaccinated if you were recently boosted or not right so it basically depends on all the doses and all the barriers unvaccinated people hanging out having dinner with each other or just hanging out in the kitchen 10 minutes or so if the person has a good load is my understanding just to synthesize here if you're not vaccinated get vaccinated yeah i mean like people are like oh what like it's going to affect your DNA. No, it doesn't affect your DNA. It's an mRNA vaccine, which degrades in your body almost immediately and cannot be inserted into your DNA. It's designed, it's like the most temporary form of a vaccine we have. It's RNA in a fat molecule, which means the fat is very similar to the fat molecules you have in your body. It's called a lipid. That's how they get the RNA into your cell. Your body makes a whole bunch of the spike protein based off that RNA template, and then the RNA dissolves. Literally, it's degraded by your body, not dissolves, but it's actively degraded by your body. So your body does naturally. Then you get immunity. They're like probably the safest vaccines I've ever seen. So you're saying this vaccine with COVID, you think it's the most safest vaccine you've seen? The Moderna and Pfizer's, yeah. The J&J and AstraZeneca ones, they're in a viral vector, which is a little different. And we have found that based on that viral vector, plus the COVID sequence inside of it can lead to rare blood clots in some people. Mm-hmm. About one in 600,000. Okay. Okay. One in 600,000. Right. So if yeah. you're a person who's more at risk from blood clots, like on birth control, female, other stuff, like don't use those, maybe use the other ones. Mm-hmm. And then there is something called myocarditis, which is heart inflammation, which can happen from the vaccines. It's more likely to occur from the virus. But if you give everyone a shot, it's an exposure for everyone. That is a risk. It's rare. What's rare? I've seen anywhere from one in 10,000 to one in 100,000 in the most susceptible group, which is young men, 16 to 24. Mm -hmm. But you're saying if that group did not get vaccinated and they call COVID, they're more likely to get myocarditis. They're more likely to have it by about a factor of 10. So they're tenfold. So so if someone said they do not want to get vaccinated because they don't want to get myocarditis, but they got COVID because they didn't get vaccinated, they're 10 times more likely to get that. Right. Okay. The difference is, is that if they just lived in their house alone and didn't want to go out because they didn't want myocarditis, that would protect them from getting the virus more likely. And then getting the shot is a deliberate thing you do to someone. So that's the balancing act, right? Yep. So in the youngest 16 year old, the 18, 20 year old males, there is that like risk thing to consider. But on average, it's still in benefit to get the vaccine. Also, mm-hmm. the myocarditis is generally reversible. Like you just take steroids, you get better. It's okay. It's fine. But like other vaccines, most vaccines have some side effect that they can cause. Mm-hmm. Often related, it's either been related to the egg. So a lot of vaccines are made in eggs. So there's mm-hmm. egg allergies and other weird things. These vaccines have less side effects due to off-target what, so other things that are in it. Because literally what it is, is a fat particle with RNA in it. So it's not the side effect myocarditis or the side effect blood clots of the vaccines are very similar to what the virus can do to people Mm -hmm. because it's going to be driven by the same underlying biochemistry. But you're 10 times more likely to get that side effect with the disease than you are the vaccine. Okay. 
But then, again, if you're, but if everyone got the vaccine versus half the population getting the virus, then you're starting to balance things out. Or you could say if 10 times the number of people got the vaccine and got the virus, the risk is even on average. Understood. Just to synthesize, get your vaccine, get two shots. Then at some point, if you don't if have COVID, when you're ready for a booster, get the booster. Yeah. Like now is the time for the boosters because it's all over the damn place. Like mm-hmm. six months from now, I'm not necessarily say the same thing. If it's summertime and it's just not around, then wait another month or two until people are starting to hang out inside again. Gotcha. Okay. Here's one random question off the beaten path, but I, I could see it. Taking your shoes off, any medical literature saying good idea, bad idea, protecting you from spreading the virus, where you have 20 people come in your house with their shoes on, 20 people that take their shoes off. Any medical benefit I, of taking your shoes off? I haven't heard that one. I take my shoes off because shoes have filthy crap on it and I don't want to yeah. clean the carpet, but the virus doesn't survive on surfaces very well. All that right. washing of groceries and oh. stuff people did. How bad was like, that? Oh, that was stupid. So <laughs> the people flipped out, but like a whole bunch of immunologists and virologists are like, it's a coronavirus. Coronaviruses are really weak viruses. They don't have a shell around them. They just have a fat envelope and then the stuff inside that makes it a virus and a few proteins on the surface. They're, they die, die real quick. That's why they die outside so well. So like they die in the sun, they die on the ground, they dry out. They like, they're not surface transmissible viruses very well. If I go and sneeze and lick a doorknob and I have COVID, sure, if you go touch that immediately and wipe it on your face and lick it, you'll get it, right? But outside of like direct transfer like that, if you had some COVID on your foot and you walk around on it for a few minutes, that was outside and you walk inside and track it in and rub it on the floor and someone comes by 10 minutes later, 20 minutes later and licks the floor, they're probably not going to get it let alone then transfer from their foot to their body, to their clothes, up to you. Four hours later, the whole thing is destroyed. Gotcha. Contract transmissible. Any other points you'd like to make that I missed or the questions, any points we didn't cover? Uh, I was trying to think. Oh, if you, people ask all the time about ivermectin and all this other stuff. Yeah, go ahead. There are good trials that show that ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine don't work. There's actually some of the same trials that show right alongside it that a medication called Luvox, fluvoxetine, which is an old antidepressant, seems to actually kind of work. So I'd rather us seeing us have conversations about that as an adjunct therapy and stop talking about medications we know don't work. Mm. Like it's not that people are opposed to finding a medication that's already on the market that happens to work as an antiviral. It's that they want it to work. So stop. Mm. Like there is good data that shows that this other thing works. We don't want to have conversations about that. We want to have conversations about our pet drug that we want to work for god knows what reason so people need to like chill and realize that doctors would be prescribing whatever the hell works if it worked we already did it with steroids dexamethasone generic drug like ten dollars prescribe it all the time for covid no one batted an eye at that no there's no conspiracy of big pharma trying to eliminate that no it's just that one worked so we used it I was using hydroxychloroquine for three weeks and then, you know, oh, it kind of looks promising. I guess we can try it inpatient. Maybe. No, nope. went away. Like physicians will use it if there's data for it. Mm. It's how they're wired. It's not like there's some conspiracy. But and it, the internet has a, a lot of great things. Like you can plan a trip to the Caribbean in four minutes, but then again, it has crazy theories just kind of spinning around in a second. It goes across yeah. the globe. How about something simple like supplements? Is a multivitamin helpful? Vitamin D, vitamin C, what's the latest on that? Good question. All right. So 
vitamins generally meh. Like vitamin C has been shot to death about a billion times and keeps trying to come back. It's never been shown to help with anything besides if you're deficient. So ignoring deficiencies. Vitamin D, though, many people are deficient in it. And when you're deficient, you have problems with your immune system functioning. You can have autoimmune disease and like that plus like susceptibility to infections. So vitamin D works. Don't overdo it. See your doctor, get your level, take the right supplement for it to work. You can overdose on vitamin D as well. But having the right amount of vitamin D is important. And us pasty Caucasians in the North hanging inside all the time definitely are vitamin D deficient often. It's one of the reasons we have higher risks of autoimmunity and other things. Mm-hmm. I have a great review from 2015 in the journal Healthcare about this. Yeah, so that works mm-hmm. if you're supplement. Super high dose, whatever. No, you're just going to piss it out. Your body doesn't want too much of something. You can overdose on vitamin D because it's fat soluble. So your body can't get rid of it. Mm-hmm. But like your body will get rid of whatever extra it doesn't tolerate. Like vitamin C doesn't want extra of it. You just have really expensive piss. Alkaline water. Guess what? Your body has a very narrow window of pH that will tolerate and your body will do whatever it has to to maintain that. And if you can't, you get real sick. So your kidneys will just exit. That's like what the they zinc. do. How about zinc? High-dose zinc can box your sense of smell. It really highlights and that Zycam nasal spray for zinc can cause people's sense of smell to go away permanently. They had a lawsuit for it. Zinc lozenges are known to work when you're sick because the zinc is antibacterial and antiviral and will kill everything in your throat. Mm-hmm. Like actively, that's how it works. But do you need extra high levels of zinc? No. If you're zinc deficient, should you get supplemented so you're not deficient anymore because that affects your immunity? Yes. Mm-hmm. But like a daily zinc supplement, probably not for everyone. Are no. you deficient? Maybe if you're not, no, no, understood. I, I, do you have a problem? Fix it. Right. Yep. Understood. A lot of people have crap diets, so they have lots of interesting problems. Yep. A lot of people don't. It goes back to be healthy, eat well, exercise, get your sleep, wash your hands. If you're sick, wear a mask in public, get vaccinated and go train jujitsu. Yeah. And when people ask about masks, I'm like, well, if you had diarrhea, would you wear underwear? Yes. Mm-hmm. So if you're sick, wear a mask. That's the one thing that came out of this COVID thing. If you feel like you have a cold and you want to go to the market, put a mask on. And I mean, I think that's a reasonable like hygiene thing. Like, yeah, you know, it seems wear, like hygienic now. Do I need before. to wear a mask every day? No. No. Frankly, I'm a physician and I don't want to wear a mask every day. My ears hurt from them. That's the last of the questions. Dr. Jason Goldsmith, I'd like to yep. thank you for joining us and clearing some COVID confusion up. Really appreciate it. Yeah, you're welcome. If people are looking for you and your podcast online, where can they find you? So it'd be immunologypodcast.com is the uh, place to go for the podcast. You can also find it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, anywhere you get your podcast, just search the Immunology Podcast. If you want to find us on Twitter, it's at Immunopod. That's the easiest place to find me. It is a pretty scientific podcast, so it's designed for people getting a science education, whether that's an undergrad or graduate degree. We do review papers, though, at the beginning of it. So it's, it's a two-part. We review a couple papers that just came out in the field. So if you're interested in COVID, it's a great way to hear what people are talking about in the field mm-hmm. of immunology, COVID, and otherwise, because we review all the hot stuff coming out. Mm-hmm. And then we talk to a famous scientist every week. Very but cool. It gets, if you're like, I don't know what a cytokine is, it's going to be a rough podcast because it's, it's pretty technical. But if you want to start learning about immunology, it's not a bad place to do it, especially if you read some stuff online first. Awesome. I'll put that in the show notes. And uh, Dr. Jason Goldsmith, I'd like to thank you for joining us, clearing some stuff up, and uh, hopefully uh, the mask go away. Get your shot. Yeah, hope so. Go go train jujitsu, right? Come on. Uh, Yep. See you tomorrow. Have a good one. Hey, take care. Thank you, Doc. Have a good one. Bye.